Hey guys, Liat here. And Casey too. Sorry, I'm here. He's here. Should have said that earlier. For the month of November, we are celebrating being thankful and grateful. And we are thankful and grateful and any other synonyms that go along with that for all of you. So if you are looking for study material for the BCBA exam, BCABA exam, you just love anything behavior related, or you're just a total behavior nerd like ourselves, we have lots of deals going on this month on studynotesaba.com. Casey, what are they? So yes, like she said, we are so incredibly thankful and grateful for all of you. So the week of November 9th through the 13th, you can get $25 off the famous pairing pack that's chocked full of all the best note-taking essentials with coupon code THANKS, all lowercase. The week of November 16th through the 20th, you can take 15% off any of our video bundles with code TURKEY. The video bundles are one month access, two month access, and four month access. Pick your poison. They are amazing. It's all 20 collectives recorded from the most recent collective we've taught. And then the week of November 23rd to the 27th, you can take 15% off any of the Bitches Talk the Task list audio recordings with code GRATEFUL. Last but not least, the weekend of 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, take half off all of our mock exams, holy shit, with code STUFFED. That is a lot. And if you need reminders, please head over to our social media, Instagram or Facebook, to see all of these amazing deals. Love you. Mean it. Guys, get on over there. That's sounding like some limited holds to me. Make your move. Studynotesaba.com. Study notes, Behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we are here and we are not ghosted for episode 73. Casey, what is the rhyme for today? Well, episode 73, get rid of that B. And by B, we mean biatch in the workplace. Okay. Yeah. That is what we're going to be talking about today. So that is our rhyme. And it's a good one because I made it up. <laughs> um, ha, ha, ha. Um, but before we get started, let's go over our review of the day to get ourselves all pumped up with how much we love ourselves. And we love reading the reviews you guys give us. So here we go. Let's do it. This one comes in from Ashley Answers. And it cut off, but it says stop what you're doing and... I'm assuming it says, go listen to them. Uh, I'm just going to throw that in there. <laughs> Ashley, reach out if I, if I got that Maybe one Maybe she was just telling us to like, stop what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, like, just stop. Like. The podcast. <laughs> All right. It says, I'm a single mama to a very busy two-year-old. We spend most of the day outside or driving to some fun destinations. With the podcast, I can get some relatable behavioral terms, have some great laughs, and not have to worry about being attached to Cooper or my notes. I feel like these ladies are my friends. They definitely will have... Help me, hashtag shaping my behavior. Thank you, Ashley. I love that. I love that you're a little mama, single mama, doing your thing. Keep it up. And thank you for writing that review. Thank you, guys. We love the reviews. Keep them coming. We literally look at them on a regular basis. Seriously. Not to sound desperate, but we do. All right. So for today's show, I'm very excited about our guest we have. Casey is going to tell you all about them, but I'm going to tell you the weirder part about this. Our guest we have today, I'm trying to think how we got connected. Oh, I know we got, I think it actually also was connected through Scott Telema. I just think we should like put his name on every show because we've introduced everyone through him. <laughs> and by the way, he's coming on the show. So he's a real human, everyone. He'll be coming on. Um, but so we got introduced maybe on LinkedIn. I'm not sure. And so we had our initial meeting. Casey and I always have initial meetings with our potential guests before a show. And it's usually along the lines like, hey, hey, oh, where do you live? That's cool. Yeah, I live here, whatever. And that's what happened. Oh, cool, Casey, you live in New Hampshire. And I said, oh, I live in Dallas. He said, oh, me too. And I'm like, where in Dallas? And he was like, I live at Davenport and McCollum. And I was like, me too. Oh, my God. We literally live. I could be at his house walking in probably three and a half minutes. Maybe so crazy. Walking. Like I, so I actually went to go pick up a copy of this book we're going to be talking about today. And 
I put it in my ways to go just make sure I was turning on the right street. And it actually said less than a one minute to get there because it was 0.015 miles or something. So this is really cool to have a guest that you live that close to. Um, Casey, tell us about our guest today so we can make this introduction. All right. Our guest today is Pete Havel. He is a consultant, trainer, and speaker for leading organizations on the issues of workplace culture and organizational leadership. And he's the author of this really cool book called The Arsonist in the Office, um, which is his own fictional experience of what can go wrong when a culture goes bad. Pete is a former lobbyist and political consultant who proudly serves some of Americans, America's leading pro-business advocacy organization. The cool thing, if not, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of cool things, is that he's actually from Massachusetts originally, which is New England, baby. And now, so we've got that in common. So don't leave me out, all right? And and now he lives right next to um, Liat. So welcome to the show, Pete. Hey, thanks for having me. I've, I've been planning this my entire life to uh, strategically <laughs> get in with both of you. So th- this is this has worked out great. I remember your it was your email saying when I saw your podcast with, I think it was Chase Hughes. You said, um, it's my, like, I have to, I can't do anything else in this world before, unless I get on the behavior bitches podcast. Oh, oh my gosh. That, that was absolutely amazing of like him talking people in foreign countries into, okay, you need to go kill somebody in the next half hour and tell a complete stranger that they need to do. It. And they're like, okay, cool. It's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. He was actually on Dr. Phil's episode on Friday, Chase Hughes. And I was like, he was on our show. He was like, uh, he was the body language expert exposing this one masseuse who was touching people, whatever. But I felt really proud that he was on here. So look at the connection. We're connected to Dr. Phil, to you, Pete. And I'm just so excited to have you. And because we live so close, I was able to get a copy of the book and it is signed, not to make anyone jealous. Um, I got the copy of the book and I read through the, I got it Friday afternoon, I think at 4.30. Shabbat started that night at like seven. I was finished it by 5.30 on Saturday. So I read through the book in a day. It's so accurate and we're going to talk about everything in it, but there's just so many things that we could relate to all of us. I mean, if you've ever worked in a workplace (laughs) and I'm just so excited to talk about it because I think a lot of people are going to be sending us a lot of messages after this and being like, thank you so much that that came out. I'm dealing with that right now. So let's get started. Let's do it. All right. I have first question for you. What made you write this flipping book? Why? Oh my. <laughs> so yeah, never had any plans to uh, to be an author, any of this really. But um, I took kind of the wrong turn from hell professionally um, and um, decided I can either stew on it for a long time or do something with it. And so um, the story just, uh, you know, not too many spoiler spoiler alerts, but um, I took a job that looked great from the outside and thought I had walked into an asylum when I got inside. Um, (laughs) Stuff they hadn't told me, things about, um, I would have never known uh, if, you know, I hadn't asked the questions and I didn't know to ask um, some of the right questions. But the other thing was, I got blindsided completely because I had been hired to essentially buddy up with the organization's biggest headache, worst problem, the woman they called the arsonist. And this is not a man versus woman book. Let me, mm-hmm. let me get that off the uh, off my chest right at the beginning. It, it is not that. It just happened to be my experience and that um, it turned into a book worthy kind of thing. I love that. So what do you mean by arsonist? Like what? What is an arsonist? I mean, it sounds Please like operationally defined for us. We need operational definitions as behavior oh. analysts. All right. You, you professionals in this stuff. So <laughs> loosely speaking, it, it is the type of person with enough power, enough gasoline, if you will, to burn um, careers, companies, or cultures down with, um, with their behavior. Um, that can go in a lot of different ways. It can be, I'm going to go after you and sabotage your work. It can be, all right, I'm going to put enough pressure on the organization that they back off of me, but everybody else sees what's going on and says, all right, 
management is chicken to deal with problems. Let me see what I can do. So it, it's that person that's just the ultimate disruptor. But on a personal basis, if they're coming after you, especially if you're in a bad culture, um, they can do a lot of damage because there's not that many people that want to get in front of a uh, an oncoming truck to uh, to push you out of the way. I'm uh, mixing gonna, yeah. automotive and fire analogies, but that's kind of what we're working with. I like analogies. Those are good. Gives me a clear picture. Um, so you started this job, you were blindsided. Um, how long were you there? I was there a few years. Um, from a legal standpoint, I never say exactly because mm -hmm. I, I do talk about an experience at a previous employer um, and they're probably listening. <laughs> Hopefully they'll, they'll subscribe. But um, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I, I took the, uh, the job for a few years about until the point I needed to stand up and say something. We'll probably get into that. But um, what I ran into was um, both appalling and absurd at the same time because I learned that an organization can go one of two ways when when pushed with a problem, and it is either we're going to deal with it or we may bury it. And yeah. one of those is good. The other is awful for a lot of people. You know what this makes me think of for our behavioral principle is um, the immediacy of how important the immediacy of delivering reinforcement or delivering punishment is in relation to when the behavior occurs, Huge. right? Yeah, like letting things go on and, you know, snowball is when you don't deliver that immediate punishment, right? Yep. Yeah. I, and, I, heard, I heard that called picks and, was it picks and nicks of um, positive, um, immediate and certain or... Uh, uh, negative, immediate, and certain that um, that's the way people are going to respond and yeah. that, uh, that, that that's the way you need to take care of it. And we talk about it like with, you know, if you deliver a punish or a, a reinforcing stimulus, not close enough to the behavior of, that you want to, it to affect, then they don't know which behavior it was, right? Exactly. Like, same thing with your dog or something. If you, you know, they could have been like, oh, they sat and then you give it to them, right? But what if they sat and then they rolled and then they barked and then you gave it to them? And now they're like, you wanted to do the sitting behavior, but now they've yeah, a chain of other behaviors that they're like, oh, I guess I had to do that. So it's just so important. Completely. And so these arsonists in the office, what I find very interesting is, I mean, I'm sure everyone in their brain is like, ah, oh, I finally have a name for what that person in my office was. I want to talk about what happens. How does someone become an arsonist? Is it from day one? Is this how are they staying in the position? Because I mean, if we're talking like, uh, you know, practically or pragmatically, I would think of, oh, you should just get rid of them. You know, if there's a toxic situation here and it's not that simple, nope. it seems a lot, or it can be, or there's other emotional, there, there's something there or, and that person's behavior in some sense is being reinforced for them to continue doing it. So, why are these arsonists staying around? What? How did they get started with an arsonist? I, th I think one of a couple things. One, one group might be you've always got troublemakers out there who may start from day one, right? Um, you've got somebody who's just, uh, you know, I don't know what, to, whether it's childhood or bad life experiences, they deal with things poorly. Um, then you've got the other people who are smart at watching what's going on and realizing, okay, they did this so I can get away with that. Or, um, you know, my, um, my manager doesn't seem to have any idea what they're doing. So I can, I can do, I can coast or I can, um, you know, be, uh, be unethical and nobody's going to call me out on anything or, you look at the person who's doing all sorts of bad stuff in the organization and they start moving up the ladder immediately. So you, you get all the wrong incentives out of what you're right should be a, uh, a very easy thing of when somebody goes against the policies or um, causing all sorts of, of uh, chaos or, to go on, you deal with it. But a lot of companies don't because they, mm -hmm. they're, um, I think you use the, the, the word equation it should be a pretty simple equation, but a lot of them turn it into pretty complicated ones. And it, and it can be, but at some point, the good outweighs the bad or the bad outweighs the good. And you got to make a call if you're in leadership. Is it good for my company to have a, um, 
a jerk driving people out or um, causing other people to realize that there's um, an incentive to do to do bad stuff. Mm-hmm. What are the top signs that you look for to like determine whether or not a company is a toxic place to work at? Yeah. So there's there's the worst signs, and then there's the probably the most common signs. Um, common signs definitely one of the big ones being, have y'all ever been in a room um, where you've got somebody in charge that's leading the meeting, and it's an important topic. Everybody's got an opinion, but they say, "All right, does anybody have any questions or anything to add?" And there's silence. A hundred percent. Yeah, because you know. You've learned that your opinion doesn't matter a bit, um, or you you don't want to share that information with this person because they're going to be disrespectful. Even if you're right, they, mm-hmm. they may be taking your head off. So that's a um, that's a big one. Certainly, the way people interact with people is it respectful? Is it um, the way you want to be treated? That golden rule kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then you start getting into the what I'd say is kind of that. Uh, that top level worst kind of stuff where you're like, okay, there's no way this isn't a toxic situation. And it's things like uh, retaliation of mm-hmm. um, you speak up, you've got somebody insecure around you, you do the right thing. And the next thing you know, you're cut off from promotions or you may be fired. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of that these days that the uh, quick trigger type of companies, you've got big egos involved and somebody's knocked off of their career path. They have no idea why it happened but they may have um, stumbled into some corruption going on in the company or just a fragile jerk that that decides somebody needs to go. Um, That's probably the worst one because it sends such a massive, powerful signal to everybody of, okay, I'm I'm not safe in this place, either professionally or just my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it kills any type of dialogue that for, uh, you know, you pop it up, you see a good idea. You don't want to. You don't want to say it. Yeah, your behavior is basically just being punished. You're Pretty never going to do it. Pretty much. Um, so you walked into your job on the first day, and I don't want to give too much away from the book, but like, <laughs> like just kind of walk us through day one real quick because that yeah. cracked me up. So you you always on that first day you're thinking you know it's kind of like a. Uh, I don't know, a big, big happy time. You're, you're meeting everybody. You're not expected to do, do that much work, meet new friends, you know, first day of school kind you're of thing. Excited. Yeah, you're excited. Yeah, you're excited. And within seconds, I am meeting people that are saying things like, hey, good to meet you. Um, heard you were coming in and man, I just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you. And, <laughs> good Lord. Uh, you know, people saying uh, stuff like, what have they told you about this job? Do you know who you're working with? Um, do you know what's going on around here? These these types of things. And the craziest thing was, I mean, sir, that's definitely sending a lot of signals, but they're not even wanting to tell me. And part of, that's also a cultural thing as well. And that, hey, I want to warn you, but I really don't want to, I'm, I'm scared of who might be watching from for when I tell you this stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I start running into that and then I get the, the lowdown on everything from my CEO who called me in and begins with, you know, I probably should have told you all of this before, but I don't think you'd have taken the job. Um, let me tell you what you're running into. And I, I've been hired with the train wreck of an employee that they were terrified of because that person had filed dozens of complaints, had made threats. They, he starts going into well, this group of people is terrified for this reason. These these people have kind of pulled back for this reason. But we made the decision because we're more afraid of what they might do from the outside to us than from the inside. Um, Pete, we've hired you to kind of step in the middle of um, of this gunfire and um, welcome aboard. That is terrifying. Yeah, it like- sure was. It, it, well, yes and no. Because... Was any I'm- part of you like... Oh, I'm sure they're overreacting. Like, yeah, everyone thinks it's great. Because I mean, I I feel like we all go in as a little bit of a hero. Like, oh, I get along with everyone. Like, I'm working in lobbying. Because I read that in your book. You're like, I work in lobbying. I could get along with really anyone. Um, Yeah, I'd worked with a lot of miserable people before and figured "Eh, this is one more thing. And really the biggest part of it was 
I thought if the company's telling me that this is going on, they're going to back me up. Surely, since they've identified the the enemy, now I'm part of the good guys. I'm going to be all right. But no, it was um, they had um, they needed a a bulletproof jacket, and I was it. And you know, I, I was I was going to be taking the incoming for uh, from then on. And that part I didn't understand at all because it while it makes a lot of sense to me now from a cowardly leadership standpoint of all right. I don't want to mess up my career, so I'm going to put this poor sucker in the middle and uh, mess up his. Um, the That thought hadn't crossed my mind because I figured if you're in charge, you've got a problem, especially about somebody that's below you, you're going to deal with it, but not necessarily. What was your first impression of Hazel? <laughs> um. So what was Hazel, your first meeting? Hazel, Hazel is the person in the book, which you will read, who is this arsonist, by the way. Just yeah, so you guys, I, we're all following the same. So I, I made a decision very early on um, to engage as little as possible because the things I was hearing were, were terrifying, people being set up and blackmailed and sabotaged, all the, these kind of things. And so after talking with my supervisor, she goes, um, well, you know, you two ought to get to lunch and just get this off of your chest. Uh, just have everything nice and, uh, uh, you know, much better after this lunch. And I thought, uh, this doesn't sound right, but my boss says to do it. So what can go wrong? And that's when things really got strange. Um, I'll, I'll leave that for, for another show. <laughs> but um, my, my first impression was I'm not... I'm no longer dealing with anyone that I can have a real conversation with in that it, it just didn't. There's a lot of people in my life that I feel I'm connecting with talking to having back and forth, good, positive dialogue. That's going to get somewhere mm -hmm. with this person. I felt like I was being, I, I described at one time of, um, of being in a zoo at night, and walking by the lion um, section and being tracked by the, by the lion oh, that is yeah. walking with you step by step, watching you. And frankly, this is what what I felt like in that I didn't have a coworker; I had somebody that was um, honing in on me. Yeah, and it coming was in for the really prey. creepy. Exactly, <laughs> and and that was um, that was the experience of a lot of people. And with me, I just was not um, aware of it at the beginning. And it really freaked me out throughout um, throughout the entire process. So it must have like shaped your behavior, though, because you've now been told to, um, you know, what's kind of going on and what the situation is. So now you're super aware, you're hyper aware of it. Right. But like, what if you weren't told that? Do you think you would have the same impression? That's a good question. This is why you guys have a podcast. That is a good question. Um, well, also, I was thinking just in case anyone's studying, I didn't want to throw in too much behavioral stuff. But if it just, this will help anyone studying, but if before you got started and they had give, told you, like, I just want to let you know that you are stepping into a tiger's den, that would have been what we call a CMOR, condition motivating operation reflexive, which signals escape and avoidance is very valuable. So you probably would not have gone into it at that point. So at this point, now you're already in you're not going to avoid because you're in it now. You need to escape. But if anyone's listening, that is real life CMORs that you guys ask about. Yeah, Anyways, Casey, a, back to your question. The technical term, I believe, is run like hell. But uh... Exactly. You, you <laughs> want to run like hell. Whatever you need to do, point is you would escape. Any yeah. of the behaviors in the past would have gotten you out of a situation like that, you're going to engage in those behaviors. And running like hell seems pretty solid. Would you? Do you think you would have had the same reaction if you weren't warned? Uh, yeah, I, I think I would have been probably more optimistic about, well, I'm going to honestly say, I have no idea. Um, yeah. And you can't really go back at that moment. Maybe you'd you think like, oh, maybe I'm reading this wrong. You know, maybe yes, something. It, I, that's probably right. If I had not known that other people had gone through this, I may have been guessing through, well, you know, maybe it's just me that, um, you know, just saw the, the bullet fly by my ear. I, it, it could be, could be target practice. And I, I, I'm just not aware of it or, um, 
you know, that, that's really a, uh, uh, somebody was trying to swat a fly with a baseball bat, not, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not me that those things did not literally happen, but that, that was the feeling I had at the time. <laughs> it's about right, the so only I thing have... that didn't happen. <laughs> that's scary. I'm glad you got out of there before. <laughs> um, all right. So this is a good question. And you wrote this question. I didn't write this question, but I'm going to say it. Why do smart people not want to deal with problems right in front of them? Why do we avoid dealing with situations that could be so easily dealt with? I think one of the biggest, there's a few things that I realized drove everybody. And one of those is um, risk reward, right? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it for me to deal with it from a, um, from a financial standpoint? But the, the biggest part of that, and I'm not a psychologist and you guys are much smarter about people, things as professionals and, and behavior, I, I'm kind of learning on the fly, but it is self-preservation is huge in that um, even good people that you think are going to step up to the plate and do the right thing are kind of looking at it and thinking, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. am, am I going to live through this? Is this person going to come after me with, um, with, with something at work? Are they going to embarrass me? Are they going to try and accuse me of something? All these different things um, are big factors. And I think there's a lot of stuff in life. If people are uncomfortable dealing with it, they're not going to do it. I mean, you look at when somebody's leaving a job, right? A friend you've had for years, maybe they're getting fired. And people are just silent. It's like being at a funeral and nobody wants wants to go <laughs> to this person's funeral. You, you know they're leaving. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know the, the end is, is coming. and It's just quiet. And um, we, we just don't like dealing with, with the uncomfortable stuff. And I think that is that and some leaders being a coward um, is a big deal, too, of, you know, why, why should I deal with, with this person? I'll let them... Um, take the, uh, take the crap and, um, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll do my thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a little bit getting behavioral again, a little bit of selectionism, you know, like survival of the fittest. And I do think, especially a lot of corporate America jobs. And I mean, when you work for one of these huge companies, you are waiting for a weak link to fall out because that's the only way that you're going to be able to move up. So, I think a lot of people, they become so focused on this idea of surviving and that it's like, okay, if this is the culture, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to imitate the models here that I'm seeing. And I'm going to, I guess, just look past it too, right? Like it's some of these unspoken things. And I think it happens a lot. Yeah. It's that, it's that new normal. That's not normal at all of <laughs> this is. This is the way we do things around here. And it may start out as weird, but at some point it is what it is for people. And they, uh, like you say, they adopt it completely. With all the, the heat and, you know, all these different stories coming out with the Me Too movement and, you know, terrible things that have come out, I, I know it could be a very tense environment with females and males working together. And I was wondering, is there anything that we could do to create a more you know, not tense environment and to, you know, avoid potentially these problems that we're seeing in the workplace? I think there is. And there's, I mean, first and foremost, when you've got problems, especially big ones that are causing uh, people to leave, either the, the people that are harassing people and those those folks absolutely should go or you've got um in most cases women who are being uncomfortable because they're they're being harassed and some people will say hey i don't want to deal with that i'm just going to quietly leave the company well that's awful too and uh and then you've got the situation of um right now executives and i talked to a bunch of them are being pretty uncomfortable because how do you set up a policy where you may con be concerned about um, being accused of something. A a what a lot of them are doing, they may have concerns about a false complaint coming in, but they paint every woman with the same brush, which knocks out all sorts of mentoring opportunities 
that they could be getting to to move up the uh, move up the ladder. So what I think companies ought to do is have a, a low tolerance policy for bad behavior. Um, if if you're a guy or if you happen to be a woman who's who's harassing somebody, follow through the policies, corporate America, and get those people out. They're they're killing you. Um, but on the other side, if you do have people that you can say are are torching your culture and and launching those attacks, and it's rare. I would definitely say it's rare, but it's out there because you've got some people who track bad behavior and can look at the signs of, okay, my company is afraid to to have hard conversations and, and confront anybody. I see the pathway that I can make the policies work for me. And that's that's where you get some of the false accusations that come in of people realizing, all right, nothing will happen if I if I lob this charge at someone. And that is awful um, for the guy, but it's even worse for the much larger number of women who simply want to be treated as as equals and have the exact same shots. But um, the jerks among uh, my team, the guys are uh, are causing problems. But that occasional hazel as well is uh, is running rough shot over a lot of stuff. Team female and team men. I love that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now I have a question. This term whistleblower. Yeah. It's someone who stands up for what they are seeing going wrong in spite of what might happen to them. Is that, am I getting that right? That's right. Yeah. And and usually that means you're going, we hear a lot about whistleblowers these days all over the place, but usually it's somebody going to somebody outside your organization to say something's going on mm-hmm. and, um, and you speak up and suddenly you're in the media or you're talking to, you know, the FBI or whoever else about, about something going down. Um, and I talk a little bit about them in, in the book. Um, but the other thing I talk about is those people that may go to somebody in their company and say, hey, we've got such and such going on. I want to let you know about it, boss. And then they realize, oh, shoot, my boss is in on it. Or, Ooh, yeah. um, whoa, you you want to be somebody who who's uh, finding, finding trouble and pointing it out? That's not the way we play. We do things around here because we might be profiting from that. Um, yeah, there's... And that's a big wake up call because I think a lot of people go into jobs thinking, I want to do the right thing. I if if there's a problem, I want to address it. And that's great until you find yourself in a company that um, frankly is scared of that type of person, that uh, they look at them as a threat to the good stuff that they've got going on because, you know, you may have, and I, I bring up a couple of examples in the book, you may have somebody who's getting kickbacks from from another uh you know from a vendor or something like that and okay you're talking about cutting off their um uh their bonuses and Mm -hmm. that's good that you bring that out but that can also get you fired from the wrong company and then what do you do so wait are you consider considered a whistleblower (laughs) Um, in my case, I don't know what you, uh, they sure treated me like one in that. Um, I mean, I, when I spoke up, we, we can get into that now or we can get into yeah. it later. Um, yeah, I'll, so I'll, I'll jump into it. So I had seen a number of different things going on in, in my company. And for the most part, I had just dodged most of the problems directed at me, but, um, I hit a point in being at that company where, Hazel was doing such strange and disturbing things. I finally went to my leadership to say, you guys have to stop this. This is, you know, I didn't sign up for this. Mm -hmm. And I describe it as a point where I didn't know whether I needed a meeting with HR or whether I needed to call law enforcement. And yeah, it was really disturbing. Um, And when I spoke up, I had kind of at that point picked the scab off of um, a big problem for them, which is they had tried to keep this situation in check and not have her inflict damage everywhere. But in me raising my concern, their problem was, in their view, about to to explode in a in a bad way. Um, and as a result of that, they came to me, called me into a room, uh, 
why is it that they companies always fire people in rooms that aren't used? It's like a oh, uh, it's such a it's but, a signal. Like you know, yeah. like my my husband's company, same thing. Like when they laid off everyone for COVID, like yeah. eighty five people, they took them all to this room that like they never, <laughs> no one ever uses. It's like it's like being called in the middle of a movie <laughs> to go to meet somebody down at the docks. Don't go. Don't go. Yeah, like um, just just say no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I I get called in and they uh, it's a bizarre scene as I'm being terminated and, and they couldn't even say the words of why, why I was, because I think they were frankly embarrassed by mm-hmm. the situation, despite them doing it, but they had made threats about, um, if you ever speak of this, we're going to, um, hammer you with legal fees and, and all those things that frankly, you know, at that point I'm out of a job. I can't, I can't afford that. Um, I guess the book is now helping <laughs> with that situation a little bit to uh, to make well, it back. Something good had to come out of this, right? Something good. Um, I mean, you, you had the courage to like bring up the bad shit that was going on, yep. and, and, and unfortunately, and uh, it didn't work out. You know, they didn't take that the way they should have and did the wrong thing. And you know, now you could, you know, you had. I mean, that's scary to write a book like this. Like, I would be shitting my pants every day. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, what I, what I eventually got to was the, the feeling that, you know what, um, I think they've got more exposure than I do at this point, because if, mm-hmm. if you want to bring it, bring it out, it's going to be, um, what do they call it in the, in the legal world, um, the discovery process of finding yeah. out what, what the facts are. You don't want some of the facts on the front page. And so I became pretty darn comfortable at that point of thinking, Finally, I'm going to be taking back some of this power that has been gone for me when I was stuck in interview settings. And they're like, why'd you leave your last employer? And I'm thinking, I just walked through uh, the ninth circle of hell and I'm stuck having to explain the craziness. And I'm the bad guy if I bring it up because you don't talk about an experience at your last employer. You, you know, you've you've got to be because then you're viewed as the problem. Um, right. so yeah, I took it on fictionalized the whole thing. People don't quite know exactly where this came from, but, um, I get to help people all, all around the world. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So like, it's not just the book you do speaking, um, engagements too, on like how to, do you go to, do companies ask you to come and like talk to their staff or their HR or how does that work? I, so I've done some corporate work, um, but where a lot of my work is actually coming from is, and this is going to make sense if you, if you think about what we're seeing on the news these days and society in general, um, government entities, law enforcement, um, first responders. If you watch the shows, the TV shows, you know, mm-hmm. when uh, there's always somebody somewhere that's either a knucklehead or they're corrupt or something like that doing bad stuff. And where you've got tight cultures where everybody's like, hey, that's we've got a brotherhood here and we don't uh, turn our backs on our on our friends and stuff like that. Well, that's really great until, number one, they're really not your brother. That's just a saying. Um, Number two, if you let them um, do this kind of stuff, this could mess with your job or the, the problems that you cause from your bad actions are about to spread throughout the organization. And then everybody's in some cases especially with, with police and fire, um, you could be in literal danger if, mm-hmm. um, if, if you've got uh, folks that have poisoned the well so much, either inside or outside. Yeah, especially if you're, you're per, your life is on the line in those jobs and you've yeah. got to make sure that someone has your back. That's right. And, so and I'm working them. a lot. Exactly. And it's great for the communities to have, um, have groups like that that have uh, – they're caring about bigger stuff than you know, putting in your hours and, and getting the pension. Um, so it, uh, it matters. So yeah, doing a lot of work with, with police and fire, um, helping them and then lots of corporate work and then, you know, churches, um, <laughs> yeah. they, they may be praying, but they also may be creating, uh, <laughs> you know, all sorts of crazy stuff that, uh, the people are doing inside. So a lot of different ways. So you get to help people and help, you know, organizations not have to go through what you went through or also have like tips and tricks of how to like how to deal with it. Totally. That's so awesome. I love that. And And it's really important because your work is a place you spend more time than you're probably home. Like that's the thing, you know, you're like, oh, it's my work. It's not my home life, whatever. But I mean, Casey, even you and I, we I spend more time talking to you than I do Eliron or 
Oh, absolutely. In my house. And so it's just, you know, this is what you're around the majority. I mean, we want to be all these other things, but our job is a big, you know, part of our identity or who we are or our passions. And so it's very important to address these things because this is a huge part of your life. Absolutely. That's right. Well, and and beyond the the day to day, there's the like in my case, I ran into when I um, when I left that company, and I'm going around doing interviews, and people are asking those questions of, so you you know you're not here, or why aren't you there? And I'm thinking, all right, if I answer whichever way I answer this question, it's not going to be good. If I say I left for no reason, well, that doesn't sound good. I sound like a quitter. Or if I if I say or make something up at that point. I'm lying a little bit in some way, or I'm not, not saying exactly what happened, which nobody's quite looking for, but it becomes a whole lot harder. And then if you've got a gap on your resume, like I was in a niche field for a long time in government affairs, not every company's got a lobbyist hanging around. Um, you're waiting for somebody to retire or die from a job just because there aren't that many out there. And it becomes a serious career problem. Yeah. And the longer you're out, the, the bigger that, that hole is created and it uh, it's a real challenge and especially um the smaller the world you're in mm-hmm. you know you've got at, at some point you've got to do something different and for, not every, for everybody that's not going to be writing a book about it but um it can become a heck of a career challenge was it hard to find another job after you left there um it was yeah, yeah. um in that uh yeah certainly the the number of jobs that were out there in my field and wanted to stay close to where I was, that made it difficult. The other thing is, yeah, when you can't, when you know your best bet is to be deceptive in an interview, there's probably a confidence game going on of, um, of how do you say this? You never know how to answer some of those, um, those questions particularly well, because there, there may be no good answer. And that, um, and the worst part about it is that kind of disruptive feeling of you may be right, but it doesn't matter um, mm-hmm. to uh, to people because they don't want to take a chance on you if they perceive that there's any red flag going on. And uh, yeah, it, it's a challenge, but uh, worked, worked out well for me. Yeah. I mean, you stood up for what you believed in. I have another question and this, you know, you Cecil called Hazel the arsonist. That's when people read the book. But did Cecil get that wrong? Was someone else the arsonist? Yeah, it, and and I get this question a bunch. Um, like, could it be the company's the arsonist because they're not yeah. doing dealing with it, shit? And and really, the if you've got somebody setting, we'll go with the, with the fire theme. Um, somebody setting little fires, and you've got a fire extinguisher sitting there and you don't um, do anything about it, yeah, you need to deal with with the fire starter. But the bigger problem is, what are you doing not taking care of the fire when when you're seeing it and you've got control over it? So um, yeah, the, the biggest problem in any of these situations, unless somebody is running a complete secret squirrel type of um, mm-hmm. destructive campaign against people and nobody's catching it, somebody at the top is ignoring it. And that's, um, that's so much bigger of an issue because when people see leadership not doing stuff, they get the hint that, okay, so if Hazel can get away with this, I can probably get away with this. And I saw that throughout other departments I was working in uh, or hearing about of, of what was going on. And it, people could just read signals. They, it's not hard to, uh, especially with risk and reward types of things to realize, okay, I can get away with a lot of stuff here because nobody's going to call me out on it. And I think a lot of people in the workplace, you, you know, you model other people's behavior that you see, um, that works. It's like, oh, like, "Eh, they don't really check that. Like I leave 30 or I come back 30 minutes late from lunch. So you'll continue doing it because you see other people doing it. And so what is, it almost becomes the new policy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Unspoken policy. It's, it's an unspoken policy and it's so crazy because when you say this, I'm just like thinking I have like so many things I could relate it to, like with, you know, jobs I've worked or people you've worked with or, you know, 
And, and it makes me think, I know behaviorally, when we talk about a lot of things, we talk about, well, we talk about behavior as an antecedent, like what happens before a behavior, then there's, that's the A, then the B is behavior. What is the behavior someone's doing? And the C is the consequence, like what's being done. And so we have a lot of strategies to use as consequences after like, oh, you turned, you came to work on time. Nice job. You get the best parking spot this week. You know, you'll get to park here all week, whatever it is. And there's things you could do after, but you're also putting out a fire after if the behavior someone was engaging in was lighting a fire. Are there antecedent strategies that we could utilize to, to avoid fires before they're even, because I think it's sometimes easier to do things to avoid something or taking action before it gets to the worst place yeah. as opposed to dealing with consequences. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I think one of the biggest things that companies can do from the outset is if you want people to um, to behave well, start with behaving well on your own. So follow your own rules is, is, mm -hmm. is really big. Um, another one is when people step out of line in a major way. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, go, going all... Uh, I was going to pull out caning from uh, from Singapore references from from 20 years ago with somebody getting whacked for chewing gum on the sidewalk. Sorry, I just made that a very <laughs> obscure thing, but um, makes total sense to me. But um, the you know if there's a serious issue and somebody that's the buddy of the CEO doesn't get in trouble for it, um, but somebody else lower would mm -hmm. that two sets of rules sends a huge kind of message. Um, Beyond that, the other things are that um, people see every day that uh, good results get um, get good rewards, and like you said, the the, the picks and nicks, the, the consequences. If if you screw up, that there's going to be some sort of of resolution to it, where people have teaching kind of moments. Um, but um, but beyond that, I, I think just that biggest thing is walk the walk and talk the talk and that a lot of those problems are going to uh, to take care of themselves but the last thing on that if you ignore the problem watch out because people will get the joke that uh okay i can at least get mm -hmm. away with that much that's great advice don't ignore the problem pinpoint it define it address it no matter Intervene, how uncomfortable take feed uh take <laughs> maintenance data. These are all our, this is our, this is our language. <laughs> Pete, you have been awesome. Is there anything else you would like to leave our listeners with? Let's see. Yeah, take this out because I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, you can think. I'm going to tell them to go buy the book and where they could get it. Okay. Um, oh, that's great. But if, if there's anything you want to add, like, so if you say, if there's anything you want to add or we won't ask you that, I should always have my deep thought at the end, just in case that question is asked. Um, you could think about it. I think that last thought you had was deep. The last one you just said, though, that whole thing about what they can do. Okay. You know what? No. I'll, 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 leave it I'll wrap that, that around and, uh, and, and then, uh, then leave it with a, uh, a one to grow on kind of moment. Um, let's see. So you want to know about um, what else people can know. I think I'm going to leave it there. I think that was, uh, that was about as, coherent as I'm going to get today on uh, on this topic. I think that was pretty good. So why don't we leave it at that? Don't want to mess with perfection, right? No. <laughs> don't fix it if it's not broken. <laughs> well, guys, I, I yeah. really enjoyed this book. It was amazing. And for me with my ADHD to read a book in that short amount of time um, means something because it was not only one of these books, like talking about actions you could take within an organization, but also it tells a story throughout it, which makes it more personal. And you are able, you're actually like waiting to find out what happens next. You're like, no way, this is not possible. She showed up here. What, what? So I, I recommend that you guys get a copy of this book. You can get it on Amazon. It's called The Arsonist in the Office. And it is fireproofing your life against toxic coworkers, bosses, employees, and cultures. And you'll see that it's by Pete Havel. And go check it out. You'll love it. And tell us what you think. Or if you want to be really cool and get in with the bitches, you can go to arsonistintheoffice.com. Use code bitches. 
to get two bucks off the book. That is super cool. I feel awesome that you, we get a bitch's code on your website. So thank you. Sign it too. Sign yeah. too. Woo! Sign too. If any of our bitches listeners listen, please. Yes, you need to leave a beautiful note for them and draw a picture too. <laughs> Pete, thank you so much for coming today. I really, really appreciate it. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now you can go on your life now that you've been on the Behavior Bitches podcast. You've reached, That's right. you've peaked. <laughs> you've peaked. That's it. <laughs> thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in. You know where to find us, behaviorbitches.com or on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. If you want to support us and keep us bringing out this content, you could also go to patreon.com slash behavior bitches podcast. Guys, thank you. As always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 